grind on it. Everybody, Could you do me a favor and just everybody turn on your microphone for a minute so we can all just kind of hear each other say hello somehow. Hi. Hi. Hello. Random order. Hi. Just <laughs> hello. Say hello to everybody so we can hear you. Hello. Hello. Hello, everyone. Cool. What? Let go. Can I have this book? <laughs> Wait. It's Monday <clears throat> and I'd like to know if anybody wanted to say anything. Does anybody just want to say anything as we get started? I, I'll start by saying we just walked in the door. We went on a day trip today, a rare excursion with Marina or Martina, who's there. She's having something in a cup and I'm having something in a cup. Martina's drinking. Martina, will you say hello? Martina, the last time I saw Martina was at there's a castle called Neuschwanstein, something like that. It's the castle that I knew about since I was five years old because they designed Disneyland after it. And I lived in California near Disneyland. So, so I got to see it for my first time today and go inside of it and see the insanity of the whole thing. It was amazing. Now I know a source of my own insanity, something like that. So we just walk in the door and that's something from me. Anybody else want to say anything? I walk, I was, uh, went for a walk in Lisbon. I'm calling from this place called Lisbon that people call Lisbon and, and in this moment, I'm at, at my parents' house where I grew up. And then there's, when you said an insanity of, you know, things since you were five, I just walking in the streets of Lisbon and, and seeing, I don't know, just seeing how a city is built and then how it packs everybody in and, and there's like places for trees and places for this. And it's just, for me that, when you said insanity, it was like, ah, yeah, that's where I've been. I've been in, in looking at the insanity of how cities are built. So I'm with that. Thank you. Well, I got to watch mama woodpeckers, two different species, feed their babies this morning. And it was really cool. <laughs> wow. Wow. Hmm, thank you. 
I am in the kitchen and I have a washing machine running and I was thinking that it might be disturbing when I speak, but actually I feel like this washing machine right now and <laughs> it gives, it reflects a lot of what's going on for me. I, uh, I ended my love relationship experiment yesterday and I, I remember that I wrote in, I read in the book that there is a way to successfully end relationships. And when I read it the first time, I remember that I did not understand what this means. And now I see that it might be related to seeing my own insanity and my wounds. Like, specific person in this specific relationship reflects and I feel very glad and successful about that to see these parts that make it toxic or that make me go into all since we moved out of the other house that made me believe that that I'm not valuable or not worth it and when you you posted something like or i saw a post of your quotation uh like to collaborate in multiple benefit or i don't know how you said it but yeah that was was this, yeah that wake up call and i, I am very glad of the synchronicities of the washing machine and your quotation mm -hmm. and everything Thank you. Thanks, Abed. Thank you. I wanted to say that I, I feel glad that uh, I invited a lot of uh, people from the new people from the new Israeli village of possibility management, and some of them showed up and made me feel a lot of joy. Thank you. Is that where Lior Noam Sofer comes from? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> welcome. Thank you. And Shani, welcome. Thank you. Hmm. I can share that um, I'm in Texas right now and we're taking a two week trip starting this morning, um, but nonlinear, as, as much nonlinear as we can, we have four kids in the back. <laughs> and then the driver, which is my, um, but we are planning, I only have the next two nights. I know where we're sleeping the next two nights. Um, and then after that, we're going to go all the way up to Utah and Northern California, come back down to Los Angeles and then come through again. So I'll see you on this trip again, hopefully next week, but we're just going to see okay. where the wind takes us. Thank you. Nice, Janet. Hmm. Hydrun's iPad. It's quite me. I'm the first time here. I I got an invitation from Doris. Ah, uh, welcome. Thank nice. You. Okay. okay. You're welcome. And there's Barbara Harrison there.
Could you turn your microphone on so we can hear you? Just turn your microphone. It's on the right, lower right corner. There's a switch, a button. Lower left. Can't hear you yet, Barbara. Will you turn it on lower left? Is it just click on your microphone? There we go. Do you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Super. Um, I have um, I have a daughter who's been taking a lot of your courses. She's called Anna Harrison. <laughs> I'm the mother of her, and half next to me is my husband. He's sort of hiding behind. <laughs> there he is. So Hello, that's nice to see, to see you. Yes, nice Welcome. to see you. Thank oh, you. Nice. It's great to see Hi, you. Barbara, Annika here. <laughs> I'm oh. with Levi. Oh, okay. Oh, now met. No, we haven't met yet. Okay, great. Good. <laughs> I knew we had Happy to joy. do this today. So a kind of a random a random admitting who we are, what's yep. going on. Jose is back. Yay. James is here. Donnie. Okay. Jennifer. Hey Jennifer. Great. Okay then. Well, look, as a way of saying hello and welcome, I just want to say my name is Clinton Callahan. And long ago in a galaxy far away, I spent a bunch of years writing a book called Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love. And I've been spending the years since then proving to myself that it's basically all true. It all works. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm happy to have this chance to go through the book again with you. And we're, ba we're basically, we read the book for a while. And then we just, we stop and pause for considerations. Just stories, considerations, questions. For me, I'm really happy to be doing this with you all because for me, this is a research group that we're really researching together. I learn a lot by your questions and by the answers that come out from everybody. And so I'm, I'm really happy to have a research group, an active weekly research. Group. So thank you all for participating in this. Somebody's boyfriend and girlfriend are happening there. Um, yeah, so I'm just saying thank you for this. And we have a kind of a procedure and we're all the way up in page 40. We're going to jump around a little bit because we're in the middle of reading about this. We're reading this handbook for 122 ways to create ordinary human relationship. And it's pretty overwhelming. So the way I figure we'll do it is I'll read about 10 or something like that each week. And there's a really great experiment you can do, which is when you're listening to these ways, these techniques for creating ordinary human relationship and something touches you about that you don't understand or that you understand very well, you make a little note in your beep book, call it a beep book. It's just a little handbook that we have around to make notes in. And so then, and then during the week, connect with one or two people or vent some experiments that you can try to 
replace this behavior with a different kind of behavior. It's a high risk experiment because you don't really know what the outcome will be because we haven't got to the section about extraordinary relationship yet. That's the middle of the book. We're starting in the ordinary part of the book, which is it's really the shadow world and the underworld part, which means it's not necessarily a pleasant journey. It's not necessarily a happy story. It isn't a positive, uh, inspiring message that comes out when we're studying this. It's more like an, oh my God, kind of realization. Like nobody should, like people should not see that I actually do this, but I really do, something like that. And it's kind of the poop on the table session. It's the poop on the table part where we take the things that are hidden under the table and put them on top of the table and look at them because it's only then that you get a choice about it. So we're trying to use our fear and our sadness and our mostly fear and sadness to look at the things that are, have been invisible for us so far. We look at them because that, because that if they're invisible, if we pretend like they're not happening, if we deny them, if we justify them or explain them away, if we figure out some, some way to be naive about them or just ignore them, they will continue. It will just continue going the same way. And so, you know, everybody who's in this call today, everybody who's here in this team, you're doing fine. You know, basically, we're, this is a, you're basically really healthy people. You know, we, we are, this is a set of edge workers. Your people can ask questions. You're, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing broken in you. What we're trying to do is study something that hasn't been studied with us before. We're trying to learn about things that haven't been shared with us before. My parents were a very fine example of how to create ordinary human relationship. My, my friends in school, when I was in school, my friends, their parents were very fine examples of how to create ordinary human relationships. Most people in the world are very fine examples of how to create ordinary human relationship. The thing is, as a human being, we have potentials for other stuff. Not only can we create extraordinary human relationship, we're also to enter domains of archetypal intimacy and relationship together, which, which isn't something uh, that they sing about on the radio very often. And so... How do, you, how do we figure that out? How do we learn about this? We have this huge potential, but how do we bring it alive? How do we practice it? How do we get to experience those parts? Well, you do something like this. You go to the edge of modern culture, come into a team like this, and put the poop on the table and start figuring out what you don't know that you don't know about as a way of starting new experiments. So that's, that's what we're up to. So I'm going to start reading of the experiments and we're we're starting at number 17 okay and this one says one of the ways to create ordinary human relationship is stay in your bed sleep in try to keep dreaming 
sleeping and dreaming are better than what is happening in your life. If you are sleeping and dreaming, maybe people will leave you alone. Maybe things will change by themselves. So where all these came from is real life stories. They came, they didn't come from pretend, they came from real life stories, my own experience, other people's experiences. So yeah, so there's a way of this, of if you keep staying sleeping and dreaming, maybe things will change by themselves. People have that one. How many people have that little thing going on? Yeah, it's not everybody. It's just, but, but it, and it's not your only one probably. But if, if that's one of your things, one of your, one of the, you make a little note, okay, I try to keep sleeping and dreaming. And then your experiments will be, okay, how can I wake up in unusual ways and unusual times in unusual ways? And I just don't mean, you know, set an alarm for 3.30 in the morning and then wake up. That's not, that's not the only thing I'm talking about. There's many different things to wake up about, and there's many different ways to wake up about them. And so that, those would be the kinds of experiments to do, is to wake up about maybe my intention. What was the intention behind the thing I just said? Or what was the intention behind not saying the thing that I just thought about that somebody else just said? Why didn't I say that? What was my intention? So that will that will um, that will help me. That will that will help you wake up about things you didn't know you were sleeping about. So that's the point of that. That's how we do these experiments. So okay, here I go. Number eighteen. Do not be glamorous and sexy for your partner. Avoid that. Do not do that. Instead, be glamorous and sexy for people who do not matter to you so that you maintain a good public image. I mean, in France, I think I learned this one in France because there's a tradition in France that, that you know, each day when you go out to visit the baker, you actually dress up so that when you walk into the baker's office, he has something pleasant to look at and be with. So it's a tradition in, in France to do that kind of a thing. So I think I got it from, from being in France for so long. It was really an incredible experience that people would get you know, dressed up to go to the baker and, and then go home and get you know, dressed their sloppy clothes for their partner. So, all right, number 19, conceive of here as very big, covering everywhere that you have ever been. In addition to that, regard now as immense extending beyond this moment back into the past and far into the distant future so this huge here and a huge now and ignore the obvious fact that you can do nothing to change the past and little or nothing to predetermine the future and nothing about what is not here Include the future and the past and everywhere into a gigantic here and now, and then feel totally overwhelmed about how much you carry on your shoulders. Use this overwhelm as an excuse to eat a lot of chocolate. 
Number 20, never, never just say yes or no in response to yes or no questions. Always go sideways instead. And make sure that you add in all the details. Then your partner will be so confused that they don't know if you answered their question or not. And you can keep everything the same. There's a little extra added on thing. 21, never answer the question that is asked. Always assume that your assumptions about the questions and about the questioner are more correct than the questioners. Then answer the question that you assume they are really asking. Anybody do that one? Anybody know that they do that one? Yeah. You assume that your assumptions are more correct than the one who's asking the question because you know you're just more aware, you're just smarter and you just answer those questions. Okay, 22, always be worried that the worst thing that ever happened to you is any minute going to happen to you again. Make it your partner's responsibility to protect you from this worry. Number 23, limit your experience to your vocabulary. Have no experience that you do not have a name for. Regard everything else as ridiculous and irrelevant and teach this to your children. By the way, we call this verbal reality. It's called verbal reality. We were put in verbal reality pretty young in school. And we have a website that's called Oriental Reality. It, it gives you some really good exercises and clarity about how to shift out of verbal reality and reclaim experiential reality, which is very important in terms of negotiating spaces of intimacy and vulnerability because most of what happens, we don't have words for. Number 24, <clears throat> create and maintain the story in your mind that your partner is inferior to you or secretly that your partner is an idiot. Consistently find little pieces of evidence to support that story that you have. Then whenever you look at your partner, see your stories about them instead of them. Anybody have that one going on? Yeah. It's great. This is poop on the table time. This is time to put the poop on the table. It's the time to look at the stuff that's been secretly going on because, you know, your partner, just to elaborate a little bit on this, for example, my ex-mother-in-law used to do that to her partner ongoingly and in such an intense way, it was, it was embarrassing. It was, I would start sweating when she would do it. And, and so it's like, the partner knows, the partner knows that you secretly have this story that they're an idiot or that you, you know, you are just superior. You know, they, they know that story and they, they try to love you anyway. They try to love you even though you have that story, but it's just a barrier. It's kind of like putting a bunch of landmines around you that 
when they try to approach you, they step on these landmines and they get mud thrown all over them, something like that. They just get covered with mud. And by the time they get close to you, they're covered in mud or horse and they're stinking and covered with mud. And, and it's like, just, it just, it's a protection. Most of these things are protections against intimacy. And let me just explain the the reason we're so afraid of intimacy is because we're identified with our psychological defense strategy. We're identified that we think we are our ego, our mask, you know, the show that we put on. That's who we think we are until we do some work about that. And so here's this show. And if somebody gets closer to me, then my show and they turn around and see that my show is just a show, what will they think? If they turn around and see my personality is just, you know, it's a, it's a mirage. It's like a mirage. It's an illusion. So if, I, my per, if they get closer to me than my defense strategy and they, tr they turn around and see that my, my defense strategy is an illusion, what will they think of me? Who will they relate to? Like, how can they even be with me? It's so, it's really, we're afraid of that. And we'll, we'll get more and more into this, but that's why we in, invent all these ways to undermine intimacy, because we don't have the maps or we don't have the, we don't have the support to be nothing to be the void, to be an empty space in the presence of another being. We don't have, it, we don't have it, the experience of being a being with another being with, that's undefended. We don't have the experience of being undefended as a being in the presence of another being. This is not familiar for us, although we long for it intensely. We truly long for that. And th so that's where we're going with all this. If you can figure out the way that you've prisoned yourself in, you can unprison yourself. You can liberate yourself. But it's work. It really does take work. You know, we, we, want, we want to believe in these fantasy stories of, I fell in love, got married, and we lived happily ever after. Now, this story, there's a part of us that really wants to have it be like that. And I mean, it's understandable why it sounds fun and easy and luxurious and possible. And what I'm just saying is that if the purpose of the universe is the evolution of consciousness and we are vehicles of that consciousness, if we're a vehicle for that raw consciousness, and, but the purpose that's all around us is the evolution of the manifestation of that consciousness. This is work. This is transformational work. It's the death and resurrection show ongoingly. So they don't tell us, you know, it's not, we haven't made the movies and the love songs yet that include the Phoenix process, you know, the going into nothing and coming out again before breakfast. You wake up in the morning and you vanish into ashes and, and burn into ashes and show up out of bed, you step out of bed as a, as a new phoenix creature before you even have breakfast. Like, we don't have the stories like that. But 
but this is what's possible for us. We're designed for this. And so there are legends about this that maybe once in your lifetime, you'll go through, you know, we watch these movies sometimes. You know, Wonder Woman. So in the Wonder Woman movie, she goes through this huge transformation of realizing that human beings have this shadow side and this bright side, both in them. Both sides are in human beings. This destroys her whole good, bad, right, wrong, you know, fantasy world that she was trained to, to fight for on her on the island where she was born. She she her whole world dies. Well, that's that's the story of the movie. But in fact, that's a map. It looks like it happens one big time in her life, but in fact, that's a map for us for really every day of our life. Each day of our life can be like that. And and the thing, the thing that shocked me about this, and it took me a while before I really believed it, is, is that there's no top end to the evolution of consciousness. There isn't like I I've heard of this word enlightenment and there isn't I've never have never encountered an enlightened being that didn't have shit going on somewhere. So it's like so the a possibility of achieving enlightenment to me is just one of these concepts that the mind can easily understand, but it has no relationship to reality. This is my personal view on it. And so well, this is good news. It means means you got you have a long a lifelong transformational adventure journey. That's what we get. A lifelong a lifelong transformational adventure journey. It's not like we're going to have a birthday party and then life is over because we're on the other side of the party. It's it's like it goes on and on and on. And every every time we blow up every time we're caught every lie we make every time you lie even just a little bit every time you withhold something like there's something going on for you go you know so often in the movies people go you okay and they go yeah i'm okay and it's a lie it's a lie and those people teach us just to lie to each other every time you say i'm okay when you're not okay this is a lie so every time you do that, you can crash and burn. You, you have the opportunity to reinvent yourself because you, your integrity has just gone through a tesseract. I don't know if you know what a tesseract. It's a fourth dimensional overcube. It's like you've just been, your, your, your integrity has vanished out of your hands. You, I have integrity. I have integrity. What do I have? Nothing. Where's my integrity? Well, you start over again, man. You just made a promise and didn't keep it. You just um, deceived yourself. You just deceived somebody else. You just lost your commitment. You All these things. There's so many ways to crash and burn and start over again. The, the, the hope of it is that you learn something in the crashing and burning. You know, the hope is that, I mean, we have this idea that we can understand something in our mind. We go, okay, I see what I did wrong. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna, okay, this will never happen again. You know, two days later, you do it again. Okay, anybody ever have this experience? Okay, all right, this is because 
transformation does not occur in the mind. We can't actually learn real stuff in our mind. Nothing changes from getting it in our mind. Understanding something is the booby prize. In English, we call it the booby prize. It's the last prize. It's the best to understand something. And we've been brought up in an education system where understanding something is the ideal. I understand. You get an A on the test and then you can get a good job and then they can retire you in an old people's home and you can die. Okay? Have a good life. You understood. So, so it isn't about understanding. Change doesn't happen. Understanding. Change happens through the death and resurrection show. Change happens through transformation. Change, but the thing is, how many people have gone through crashing, you face, you hit the wall, your whole life splatters against the wall, it slides down like a rotten egg, you know, you try to scrape it up and come back together again a few months later, and then a few months later, the same thing happens. You know, anybody ever have that? You just crash again. Okay, right. We're using a formula, and this book will get there. We call it rapid learning. The crash against the wall is a beep. We call it a beep. Okay. And the, when we get, a, get ourselves together again, that's a go. You try it, you try again. Try again is a go. But between the beep and a go is a shift. Rapid learning is beep, shift, go. So most of the time we forget the shift. And that's what's wonderful about this team. And it's wonderful about the thing when you call up a couple of people in the middle of the week and say, I have hit the wall. I don't know what the wall is made out of. I need to, I need to become something that doesn't hit this wall again. Please help me. Take me through a process of discovering how to become the thing that doesn't hit this wall. What can I shift? And, and they will take you through they will take you through the process of, of finding out and discovering some other ways to be, a new experiment to try. So people are already doing this. You, you just, we know everybody on the WhatsApp group. You call two of them, say, could you hold space for me? You get on a call with them, takes a half hour, maybe 45 minutes, sometimes only 10 minutes. And they go through this process with you of finding a new experiment to try so that you can shift. That shift is so valuable. It doesn't even mean you know how to shift. It doesn't mean you need to know how to do the new thing. It just means you try to do the new thing. Because trying the new thing gives you more information. It gives you more, a bigger part of the map. You have more basis to stand on. You have more clarity about the territory. You try a new thing this way, you try something over there, you try something back there, and the one back there works. So you don't, so that's what this is about. So beep, shift, go, don't forget the shift. Use a couple of people, call them up, say, help me shift. Help me figure out what to do to shift. It's a 10 minute, 15 minute call, maybe half hour, and then try the thing, say, thanks, I got it, I'll try this experiment. And you can do this anytime you're standing in front of the doorbell from some new new guy you want to talk to. And you're about ready to push the doorbell and you go, nope. I pushed the doorbell with my finger last time and it really messed up. Okay, what else can I do? And they say, well, get a pen out. Use your elbow. 
uh, start singing instead. Just sing out there. No, throw rocks on the window. No, forget that. No, um, um, get the neighbors, all the neighbors around. Bring all the neighbors, knock on all the other neighbors, have them all come over and then knock on the door and then tell the neighbors, say, look, I'm thinking of making this guy my new boyfriend. What do I need to know about this guy that you got? Nobody told me. And they will tell you the dirt on this guy. All the neighbors, they know everything, what he does in the middle of the night, what kind of movies he watches, who, he, who comes to visit him. They will tell you everything. This would be a good way to start a new experiment. So you get it? It's about the shift. It's about trying something different. Good. All right. Number 25. We have three more of these to go for. Number 25, to supplement the view that your partner is inferior to you, also create and main story that you are superior to your partner. So find little ways to constantly remind your partner that you're superior, especially when in the company of your relatives or business associates or mutual friends. This is a very good way to prove to everybody that you're superior. Um, create a totally ordinary relationship that way. Number 26, have expectations about how your partner should act, about what they should feel, about where they should sit, about how they should dress, about how they should treat you, about what they should order to eat at the restaurant, about how they are driving, and so on. Get angry at them if their behavior ever fails to meet your expectations. Anybody have that one going on? The expectation thing? Ah, this is, this is exceptionally powerful medicine for creating ordinary relationships. This is a very, very superior, ordinary tool, this expectation thing. I'll, I'll give you a hint about that one. It is possible, it is possible to engage interactions and relationship with no expectations at all. You have to think about this because it's so easy to have to think that expectations are important. So for example, you would think that if somebody makes a plan with you, you would expect them to keep their part of the plan, right? But then you end up with an expectation again. So if you, if you hold expectations, it blocks you, it takes you out of reality. It puts you in a parallel universe in which you are praying to the expectation gods that your expectation is true. And it's not very likely. I mean, I, I bought, I bought tickets to the lottery before and I never won. So holding an expectation and thinking that the person you're with is gonna meet your expectation is kind of like buying a lottery ticket. Yes, you know, one chance in a million, they might meet your expectation accidentally. Or if they spend a lot of time and energy trying to meet your expectation, then they have given you their center and they're being totally adaptive with you. They, they're being like a chameleon with you. So you don't even know who they are really. They're just trying to meet your expectations. So this is, 
what a horrible thing that would be. So this thing about expectations is really big. We'll be, we'll be going into that later also more. And number 27, feel afraid if your partner dares to express their feelings to you. As soon as they begin expressing their feelings to you, panic and express your feelings to them. After all, stop withholding their feelings. It is only fair that you express your feelings too. Make, make sure that your feelings are bigger and stronger than their feelings. So if I was to write this again today, I would just replace the word with emotions because emotions are not feelings. Emotions come from the past or from someone else. So this is really about emotions. So just make sure that if somebody starts expressing their emotions, you express yours back, but make sure yours are bigger because then in a way you win. Okay. All right. All right. Enough of this kind of stuff for right now. We're going to jump ahead. Does anybody have anything that they want to share or talk or ask about these 10 practices for creating ordinary, extremely ordinary relationships? I have two questions. Jose. Hi, Clinton. Jose first. Jose first, and then Lee or Noam Sofer second. Hi, Clinton. Yeah, I was. Hello. Hi. Uh, I was reading the 19 with you. And uh, uh, if you could talk just a little bit more, uh, because I'm a little bit lost here on the huge here and huge now, because I can understand the small here, small now. But although it's the opposite, I'm, I'm having a, 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 a little bit of difficult to understand what is a huge here and a huge now. There, this is a huge topic, just to be clear about that. And it's a powerful topic. So don't, let's, let's consider this the beginning of this conversation, okay? We will, we will get back to this over and over again in the book, because when you understand how to make a small here, which is a small you, because you have no stories, you have very few stories, it's very small here, does not include stories about the past it doesn't include stories about how how you were over there or how another person was over there the here the this the this what's what's real and important is the stuff that's happening you know the here is what's here what's going on right here it isn't bringing in that and bringing in this and your fear about that and what if this and they one time they did that that's the here part Every, can everybody hear me just to make sure everybody can hear me okay all right good and then now is working in a different dimension than space it's working in the dimension of time so in the dimension of time it's possible to have a big now there's uh, there's a story of this guy and and the woman and he asked this woman, he says, will you marry me? And she looks at him and says, not now. So six months later, he comes back to her and she goes, will you marry me? And she said, I told you, not now. Okay, that's a big now. 
That's a six month long now. Okay, there's a huge now. Well, a lot of us have a huge now. A lot of us still behave as if we live in our parents' house, for example. We still believe, we still behave as if, you know, that would be a big here or a big now is that, um, is that uh, we have to pay taxes next year. You know, morning, the first thing I say is we have to pay taxes next year. Okay, what does that have to do with the scrambled eggs? You know, what does it have to do with the smile on your partner's face? What does that have to do with hearing them breathe right now? Okay, paying taxes is huge now. It's a way, way in the future kind of thing. It doesn't mean don't make plans, but the way you make plans is you expand your now, go into the, the future, for example, feel afraid, write down all the things you're afraid of and handle it, and then shrink your now back down again. So your plan is handled about your fear, about the future, about those things, but you're, that's not where you are. That's not in this time with you. You have your list, you have your plan, good. When you get to that now, when your now gets to that now, then you can, hand, you can do the plan. But there's nothing that you can do right now about something that's going to happen even a few seconds from now. This is how people have stage fright. Do you ever have stage fright? You know, like your talk is coming up or you got to meet with somebody. And the stage fright is putting your center into the future. If it's five minutes or five hours or five days, you put your, your, your center into, a, into the where where something's gonna happen, oh my God, I'm gonna have this meeting, I have to go give a talk, I have to make this presentation, I have to. So that's where your now is. You put your center way over there in the future and then you put your attention on yourself. So this is, so you put your, your center way over there in the future and your attention on yourself where you have no power, you don't have any power at all in the future. You don't have any, so you can't do anything even three seconds in the future. The only place you can do something is now. And so you have your attention on your now and just going, do something, do something. Tomorrow you're gonna to have a talk with this guy. Do something now about your talk then. Well, you can't do anything. So you're powerless and you just freak out. This is called stage fright. So if you ever have that, take your now and put it right back here on your center in this very small now and put your attention out there. You look at what's going on out there so you can handle stuff. And if the attention says you're gonna have a talk tomorrow, did you write down your three sentences that you're gonna have at the talk? Yes, I wrote my three sentences already. Okay, and that's all to do. You don't have to do anything else. There's nothing to do. And you go, ah, and you can, you won't, and then when it's time to give the talk or have the meeting, you already have your three sentences, you do the thing but your now is very small and your attention's out there and it just, the stage fright just disappears. It's a great, really wonderful thing. Jose, is that okay? Yes. That's the beginning. Yes, thank you. Okay, it's a yes, great thing you. to, good. And there's a website called Minimize Now also. You can check it out. Lior Noam Sofer. How, yes. how, how bad am I with your name? You're pretty good actually. 
Okay, go yeah. ahead. What, what's up? So, uh, two questions. First of all, um, why do we focus on how to create an ordinary relationship and not an extraordinary relationship? Here's the thing. Let's say you keep getting headaches. Okay. And your head hurts up here and you just, you just don't know why, but it's hurting really like hell. Just keeps hurting like hell. And even in church, it hurts like hell. And when you dress up really good, it still hurts like hell. And then you just, it's like hell. And finally, you go to a, a study group like this or a research team and they go, if you hit yourself in the head with a hammer, your head will hurt. And you go, oh my God, I'm hitting myself in the head with a hammer and that's why my head hurts? Oh my God. Oh man, so I have to I have to learn how I'm hitting myself in the head so that I can stop hitting myself in the head before my head stops hurting. That's what this is about. Every single one of these 122 ways is how we hit ourselves in the head. And it will hurt. It will it will completely trash your life. Any one of these things will trash love happening. It will undermine intimacy. It will sabotage vulnerability. Every single one of these things, you're hitting yourself ahead with a hammer. So we have to study the underworld first. We have to study this stuff. You get it? Yeah. So if I you don't, it. yeah. So we have to see how we're doing this stuff because it isn't. You could you could dress up really nice. You could smile. You could you could hold space. But if you're hitting yourself in the head with a hammer, you're going to have a headache. So we have to look at all that stuff. Yep. It's not Makes pretty. Sense. Okay, yeah. great. Thanks for the Thank clarification. Uh, another question is the, I don't remember the number, but the expectation thing. How do I differentiate? Like, how do I give up expectations without giving up my boundaries and needs and tr building trust? Yeah, great questions. Every single one of those things you said, boundaries needs and trust those are distinctions they have we're working the kind of the kind of relationship intelligence that we're building here together is based on distinctions which means it's how to determine or discern how to detect one thing from another so for example if you're using the thought where that trust is a feeling, for example, and if I get a sense of trust, then I can trust somebody. But if I don't have this sense of trust, then I can't trust somebody. You understand what I'm saying about trust? A lot of people think that I can only trust people who I have this special feeling with and nobody else can I try. I have to wait around for this experience or maybe I have to wait around for evidence. I have to wait around for certain evidence that I can trust somebody. So if they, you know, open the door for me, I can trust that they love me. Or if they never are late when they come over, or if they always remember to call me, then they love me. So I'm looking for evidence of trust. So if I base my world on looking for an experience of trust or evidence of trust, I will almost never trust anybody. 
will almost not trust anybody. I will go through my world not trusting my kids, my partner, my boss, my colleagues, my I won't trust anybody. And, and if I do trust somebody, it's temporary because they might, I might feel trust for five minutes, but in an hour, I might not have that feeling anymore. So it can go away. So this kind of a relationship to trust is really unstable. It is not, it is a, but it's so very ordinary. It's a very ordinary way to work with trust. So, to, so an extraordinary way to work with trust, to discover in yourself that trust is actually a decision. It's, I can decide to trust or not to trust. It's a power I have. It's an amazing, this is an amazing power that we have. We can choose to trust or not trust. Now, this is wild because I can choose to trust somebody who's a complete idiot. You know, somebody who's a rascal, somebody who's a, um, I had a friend one time who's like a complete, he's a drug user, a drug seller. He breaks every law just for the hell of breaking laws. I totally trusted this guy it, because, okay. And then there are people who dress up in a suit, who have a uniform, who represent the law or who, or whatever. And I, I just, you know, I can choose not to trust them, even though they look so trustworthy like that. So what I'm actually, when I decide to trust, what I'm actually doing is trusting myself to be able to take care of myself around that other person. So mm. it's a, you build up a set of skills or an awareness about how the other person is and can I take care of myself around that? And if the answer is yes, then I, then I just, I can trust myself to take care of myself around this person. So when I'm around the guy who breaks all the rules, I just make sure I'm, if I get arrested, I don't have my lock picks on me or my bomb making materials or that, you know, I can trust myself to take care of myself around that guy. Or um, I can trust myself to, mm -hmm take care of myself around somebody who's representing themselves as trustworthy and I don't think they're trustworthy I can take care of myself about that I can hold my space I cannot agree I can disagree I don't have to follow anything they say whatever like that you get this so the power is about trust it's a set of distinctions about trusting myself to take care of myself around another person all of a sudden I have a whole new set of relationships going on because I can take care of myself around that other person. So these are big things. So she, um, so you were talking about expectations. So you have to, if you understand, there's a the the website about expectations has nothing on it right now as far huh? Oh, there's a great there's a great one about resentment. But okay, so uh, okay, yeah. So let me just do this about. How, where does an expectation come from? We'll talk about this again, so you don't have to get this right now. But if, in case you're ready, if you need this, the way you make an expectation is you assume 
that your assumption is true. So you make some kind of assumption. Like I, I assume you're going to get this, the eggs at the store today. I assume that you're not going to spend more money than we make. I'm going to I'm assume that if you don't want to do something with me, that you will tell me. I could make an assumption about anything. Okay. Anybody can assume anything about anything. And then since you're smart, you also add another little layer, which is I assume my assumption is true. Why else would I make an assumption if it isn't true? As soon as you assume that your assumption is true, it changes into an expectation. And then when you hold an egg, anybody could expect anything, and you know, this parallel fantasy world, like we said before, they don't, they're not connected to reality. And as soon as somebody does not meet your expectation, you feel resentful. You get a resentment. That's where resentment comes from. If somebody does not meet your expectation, you feel resentment. And then when you try to have intimacy with that person, when they look at you or speak to you or touch you, or you don't, you don't hear them and you don't feel their touch. All you feel is your resentment. And even if it's a 2% resentment, a 3% resentment, a little tiny resentment, one resentment is enough to block intimacy. So it's how it goes. You start with an assumption. You assume it's true. It changes into an expectation. They don't meet your expectation. You get a resentment. Bamo. Intimacy is not possible anymore. You don't have to do this. But you've got to work backwards. You really have to watch any assumption that you're making, each assumption that you're making, and put it on the table. Like you go, what I do is I'll go, my box, this my psychology wants to make the assumption that you're going to bring me coffee every morning. See, that's what my box is going to do. And then I expect the coffee every morning, and then you don't do it, and I have a resentment. Okay. So, but I put it on the table, and, and Chloe looks at me and goes, your box has his head up your ass, you know, because I'm not going to do that. You're, so then when I put my assumptions on the table, they can be just obliterated immediately. So I encourage you to tr start living in a world where you assume nothing and expect nothing and communicate a lot and reveal all this kind of bubbly stuff that's going on inside of you that would want to try to force you to have an assumption or an expectation. You just put it on the table and reveal how, how insane you are, how out of disconnected from reality you are, how, how much you're still in the patriarchy. You know, men and women are still way in the patriarchy. And so admit it, put it on the table. In the patriarchy, a man should do this. In the patriarchy, I expect this. I assume this. This is, And as, as you put it on the table is how you can get out of it. But to, but to, but to keep it secret, to, to not name the background mechanics
So, I can't hear you. I can't hear you too. I lost you at uh, the background mechanics. His screen's gone black, so I think he can't hear us either. Like he's vanished. Is what yeah. I would assume. Okay, list connected, switching to that. Right? Uh, it's back, right? We can hear you again. Excellent. All right, I have to get back, I have to find myself here. Background mechanics, that's what I heard. Okay, here we are. Uh, we just hand, I just switched uh, Wi-Fi source. So by putting this stuff on the table, by becoming aware of it in excruciating, excruciatingly embarrassing and painful detail, you free yourself of it. It's, I don't know, it's like, wearing a hand-me-down suit of clothes that you got from your grandfather that is too small for you and holds your shoulders up and chokes your neck off with a necktie. And you're wearing this thing, you know, and you're trying to have, you're trying to eat and breathe and like live your life with this stuff on. And you don't know that you have it on because you've had it on so long. This is, and then you go, well, I've been wearing this necktie that's toast me off for just so long, I just have to do it, you know? And you go, well, you don't actually have to do it. So then you say, you know what? I've been wearing this necktie I got from my grandfather because I thought I was supposed to. I didn't even think about it, but it was choking me off and I can't even hardly breathe. And you're like, you, you just loosen the thing up and put it on the table and everybody, you look really stupid for having worn this thing for such a long time. And you take it off, you put it on the table, and you know, pretty soon you don't even know where it is anymore. It just kind of gets thrown out sometime or used by some kid to walk the dog or something as a leash or something, and then you lose it. So, I mean, and, it, and the thing is holding your shoulders up, the whole thing. I mean, you've been through kind of processes like this. It's never going to end. It isn't going to end. There's no bottom of the garbage can. I've never, I've never seen the bottom of my garbage can. Okay, I thought that if I shoveled deep and hard enough, really furiously, if I could shovel this stuff out of my unconscious, you know, patriarchal empire's fathership, mothership, if I could, my ancestors, you know, all this family constellation stuff, you know, all these habits from America, Jesus, I was born in America. Like, if I could do this, I thought I would see the bottom. I never found the bottom. And you guys in Germany, forget it. You people in Portugal, forget it. You know, you people in Israel, forget it. You know, you guys have so much shit in that garbage can. But, and the process of shoveling it makes you into an agent of transformation, which is a great life to have. I can't think of a better life than being an agent of transformation. And, and it doesn't really work unless you are in the process. You know, there's some people who try to deliver transformation without being in, 
being in the transformational process themselves. You know, I, I am working across the desk from Anne-Chloe Destermo, who's been doing online rage clubs and online fear clubs for the last few months. And I know that just before the fear club goes on, she's looking at me and her hands are shaking. And she's cracking her knuckles and she's looking for some reason not to go in the fear club because it's about fear. You know, she has to be the space holder for this maximum amount of fear. You know, you would think that the space holder for fear club would be fearless. It's not like that. You don't get to be fearless. You know, life isn't like that. We get to be in, if you're going to provide transformational processes, you will be in transformational processes. And God, what that means is you don't know what country you're going to go to sleep in when you wake up in the morning. And I mean that literally or figuratively, you know, you know what you're going to learn that day that will outmode anything that you've held dear for the whole rest of your life. And all of a sudden it's gone because you figured out it's a delusion, another delusion. So, so the life of an, of a transformational agent, this is what you're, your extraordinary relationship emerges through transformational spaces, magical spaces, mysterious spaces. Extraordinary relationship comes out of pristine clarity, a brilliance, a brightness, a set of distinctions that are so radically transformational that you can't even hold them. You have to kind of let them go through you. They're like fire. There's this bolts of lightning that go through you and it just rips through. That's that's extraordinary and archetypal relationship stuff. For you to get there, you just have to light yourself on fire from the inside. You know, the shit in the garbage can burns really well. It just puts out a bunch of black smoke. So you have to kind of keep sifting away the black smoke and putting a smile on your face and go, I'm an agent of transformation. What can I do for you? My life just burned away this morning. I I've been crying for four days. I've used up every single thing that looks like a tissue in my house. The toilet paper's gone. My underwear's gone. Like everything's gone. It's used up with, you know, and here I am. What can I do for you? And they'll, people will tell you because they can trust you because they know that you're in the mud with them. That's this work. There's other kind of work that isn't like that. And there's other kind of look that looks more like Buddhism, you know, kind of more like, (laughs) <laughs> let's not go there okay there's other kinds of work that that isn't in the gutter it isn't in the it isn't in the sewer system but we're we're in the bowels of the monster here and it's it's not going to look good but from the bowels of the monster you can create transformation habet are you putting your hand up go ahead yeah, I have a question that goes in similar direction and it's not yet answered. So I want to go after that. It's like when you say no expectation or yeah, it's like that's how you make expectation. If you make an assumption that your assumption is true, then how can you not be naive? And how can you know or how do I know? Uh, that I'm trapped in patriarchy, like by my partner and by myself. Like, how how would I recognize that? Because 
for me it's like a memory kind of thing that is like a deja vu or I don't know that you see and then you think oh I've been here before and how would Amanda, I do that? Did you want to say something? Are you specifically asking about the patriarchy thing? Okay. Yes. <clears throat> These are these are great questions. So consider this also the beginning of this conversation. It turns out the patriarchy is a cultural context that is so it's a it's a complex living organism that we're inside of. We were born into it. And so if the way to extract yourself out of that is unfortunately we can't do it like the first men in black movie where where the agent is facing the alien giant cockroach and he just goes eat me eat me you know and so the guy eats him and then he's inside but that's where his gun is and he blows up the thing from the inside we don't get to do that patriarchy is not going to die because it's totally healthy and alive doing exactly what it's supposed to do patriarchy is a cultural context that is alive and well in the unconscious minds of Donald Trump and all of the people who put him in office. So it's like there's an entire planetary wide viral infection called patriarchy. And it's just simply, it's nothing wrong or bad. It's just adolescent. It is just not initiated. It is the state of being masculine and feminine in relationship as a culture, as a civilization, it's an uninitiated, it's the uninitiated form of it. We started off as as, matri as a matriarchal creatures. We lived in the trees and the bushes and the caves and the grasslands and the meadows. And we, we basically lived in a in a in the in the mom's salad bar. The, the great mother earth was provided everything we needed, and we just woke up in the morning and ate all day and went to sleep. And this is the matriarchal culture. It's the great mother that is holding us to her bosom and just that's where we lived and then when we came out of that we came out of it like six thousand years ago or something at the end of the last ice age when we started inventing the hierarchies we started inventing hierarchical structures <clears throat> and that puts up fences and property lines and ownership and allowed us to to make crops I don't know if you can still hear me, but I'll keep going until you tell me you can't hear me. Okay. Yes. To make crops that could be stolen. You know, if we could grow more food than we need, then we can store it and then it can be stolen. So people, so hierarchical raiders, you know, people who are in a little army of guys, men can ride up and ransack your village and take your food. And then, you know, the valuable thing that we have called the grains can be stolen and taken away. All our cheeses and grains can be stolen and taken away. And, and then all of a sudden you have this competition and warfare and you have to protect yourself and build walled cities and kingdoms and all this stuff this patriarchy is. So the patriarchy has been, we've been born into it at such a degree that it's essentially in ourselves. It's in our nervous system. So we are unconsciously behaving inside of a of a culture so it's like you've traveled around Habet, right you've traveled around like so let's say you went to eritrea or someplace like that 
okay? And let's say you could see how the Eritreans are. So how are you gonna become Eritrean? Well, this is a big deal. It's a big deal to become Eritrean. Um, it, it, like for me, I had a, an American passport and even when I sat in the bureaucratic office and I, I got a, like a 97% correct, like a, a six or something, forget, um, on my score about the, gov the German government and I could speak enough German that they let me, and they gave me a passport and I put my hand up, you know, and I'd signed the papers. I'm not German. It did not make me into the German culture. To become German, I would have to own a BMW. You know, I'd have to drive 200K an hour down the road. I would have to be pissed off when the rules were not kept. You know, I would, I would have to eat sauerkraut and Schweinehaxe every day for lunch. And, and it would just be a serious endeavor. I couldn't. So it takes really a lot to, to shift culture. But that's what we're talking about. To get out of the patriarchy is seriously shifting culture. So, it's, so you can practice this. But, it, but to be able to do that, it really helps to establish or find a place that you actually want from first. It really it helps. It's very valuable to find a place that it's like Charles Eisenstein says, you know, Charles Eisenstein says, you know, he says, you know, the, the build the world that you would love to live in, you know, the, the world that you would love to let your heart knows is possible. These are Charles Eisenstein words. Okay. All right. Well, what is that for you? What kind of a world would it really be like for you that you would love to live in? What world that your heart knows is possible would you actually love to live in to the point? Okay. All right. When you, when you can clarify that for yourself, when you can set the context of the culture that you would love to live in and you could build a game world that would make that thing work, it's straightforward. And you move into it, don't ever move out of it. It's, so a lot of people, what we do is in order to connect with another human being, we put our attention over on the other human being and at the same time, we give them our center. We'll talk more about this later. But you put your attention over there and to connect with another person, if you give them your center, then your center is in their culture. And then you are a chameleon. Then you have been adaptive. Then you are being adaptive you're not being yourself anymore because you put your center over into their culture um and and that out of that out of then you try to relate to them but you're not being yourself you are in their culture trying to relate to them in themselves and you think that's being a good person and you think that's being connected and you aren't being yourself you lose yourself when you put your center over in their culture so that one of the skills to learn to get out of the patriarchy is how to rest in the context of your, the culture that you would love to live in and, and still your attention over and over on other people and connect with them without giving your center away. And what that means is you live every day in amazement. You live in amazement that other people would live in a culture where they think money has value. 
where they think that they need money to live, where they think that it's possible for a human being to own land, where they think that it's possible that a corporation can be responsible and have corporate personhood, where they think that somebody else could represent you in a government. Wow, it's amazing that people would think these things, that you can have a person over there in a representative government, that somebody's gonna speak in your name, nobody can speak in my name, you know, nobody. Nobody can speak in your name, nobody can speak for you. It is a fantasy world, and it's amazing to stand in a bubble of your own culture that you never have to leave. You're in ecstasy because you're in the culture that you would love to live in, and you don't ever have to leave it, ever. In your bubble, when you meet another person, you can get this close to them. You can get very close to another person without enmeshing in their culture. You don't have to absorb and become in their culture. You just be amazed and clear. You just be amazed and you can have that as a form of entertainment is the amazement is a form of entertainment. And any of you who have traveled to another country, um, one of the delights of going into a new country is I remember going into the Philippines and they hand me this it's kind of Filipino money. And I, I'm looking at it going, well, well, how much is this worth? I have no idea what, what can I do with this? So I go to a bakery and I find out how much a loaf of bread costs. And then I start trying to calculate the, the equivalence of how many euros is a loaf of bread and how many, how many of their money in the in Philippines is there is a loaf, pesos or whatever is a loaf of bread. But then I realized they don't even eat bread. You know, they eat rice, they eat manioc, they eat coconuts, they eat other stuff, taro. It's not even bread. They don't even, bread is some weird luxury food. They bake it for the Westerners. I, my whole values is, you know, this is entertaining. It's amazing to, it's, a, it's an, um, the, the experience of being in, a, you know, trying to understand how another person could be in ecstasy in their own culture, you know, living in the way that they live, how they could possibly think that's true. Well, it helps to have the definition of what a zombie is. So a zombie is a person who is functioning culture game world that they don't know the values of it. They don't know the values of that game world, but they're still living in it. So they're so that's a zombie. That means so it's kind of like when you join the army, you become a zombie because because there are people who tell you what to do, but you don't know why. You don't know which corporation has paid which senator to make which vote to have which army go to which country and do what kind of damage so that the corporation can make profits from rebuilding after the war. You know, you're a zombie as a, as a soldier. And that's how that game world is played. Well, many game worlds, so, so anybody who's in a game world and working in a game world or working in a culture that they don't know the values of the culture is functioning as a zombie. So, so what we get to do mostly is walk around out there in the world in a world full of zombies and hold your own bubble of culture without giving your center away and relate to the other people in their bubbles of culture with amazement that a, a human being who has transformational possibilities 
that are that are so precious and so God, so miraculous. We have the ability to transform in miraculous ways. And they're working in a in an Aldi store as a cashier or a, or a shelf stalker. Like, what? Why are you doing this? With yo, I need money to live. I need a job. Well, that's an amazing concept. Where did you get this job? Well, everybody knows this. Let's talk about it. Where did you get this idea? You know, really, it's a fascinating conversation <clears throat> that, that, won't, that won't end. You get that? So you're not trying to change anything in the other person with your questions. You're just being, you just really want to hear how it is they got that way. That's the point. Your curiosity is the transformational agent. The fact that you want to put your awareness on what's happening in their life, nobody ever did that for them before. Nobody ever wanted to put their consciousness on how their life has turned out like that. That is transformational. But if you have, I'm gonna, if you want to change somebody else, it's not gonna happen. That's not what it's about. It's like trying to change your mother. It's just not gonna happen. You, you don't like somebody to try to change you, so nobody else likes you to try to change them either. So anyway, so, I bet the question, and it's kind of the context of this whole conversation, is whole, we are so entrenched in the patriarchy that it's a radical, it's a, it's a, it's an, I don't know, it's one of the most entertaining things in the world to live in a culture of your own making and not get out of it ever. Just stay in and be curious about what everybody else is doing in their lives you know i don't know how this is happening but we didn't read any pages yet beyond the how to make ordinary relationship but i've um we've been having a rather extraordinary conversation so i'm not going to try to do that right now because it's almost 7 30 is there somebody else who had something that they'd like to say before we wrap ourselves up shannon and, and chloe is there somebody else nicole did you have your hand up before okay so we'll get back to you so shannon go ahead okay i want to talk about putting something on the table so that you don't have the expectation no, and no, so you left the, wait shannon you left yeah. the word out what word did you leave out what's the word you left out you can say uh, it, it's a four-letter word, four-letter word. It's one of those four-letter words. What are you putting on the table? You said uh, put something on the table. Oh, your you expectations. Poop. Putting poop on the table. Poop is oh, a four-letter word. Okay. P-O-O-P. -O -O it's a four-letter word. We're putting poop on the table. Okay, not just something, poop on the table. Okay, go ahead. Got it. Now, so, so here's what's coming up for me. I'm having an assumption that I, could, I can put poop on the table in this space, right? So I can say, Clinton, I have an expectation that when I come on this call, you're going to call out my name, and you're not doing that, right? Or I have expectation that you're going to have good audio. What, what's going on? My, so my assumption right now is I feel comfortable doing this with any of you. 
so what's happening in my head is, well, how can I do this with someone who does, who, who isn't embarking on this journey? What's going to happen? And so I, I'm thinking, oh, are they going to make me wrong? Are they going to have, like, I, I'm thinking they're going to meet me with one of these one through 25s. And, and so I wanted to ask you to maybe model how to put your poop on the table and then be in that place of trust. Here, here's the, the key. Can I say the key? We didn't say it yet. The key is radical responsibility. When you put the poop on the table, guess whose poop it is? It's my isn't poop. their poop, it's your poop. And when you put the poop on the table, you own it with, with no blame, no accusation, no mm. insinuation. It's not about them, it's about you. And like what I said was my gremlin or my, what I said was my box, my psychological structure is wants me to say, I expect you, I expect that you're gonna put give me a coffee every morning you know i assume that and then i expect it but this is my this is my box this is so it's part of me so i take responsibility i have to it is a weakness i am admitting a, fa a fallacy in my structure i'm a, a weakness in my weak point i have to admit to you that i'm so weak i'm such a patriarch i'm so um, damage that I would go so far as to assume and then expect that you're going to put a coffee on the table for me every morning. And I put it on the table and I'm, I'm a wit you're a witness to that. I am taking myself apart, not for your benefit. I'm taking it apart because, hey, this is what I did. And I'm, I'm witnessing my own self-destruction in your, in, in your presence before breakfast. And this is it's not about good day. This and it's not about apologizing for the day. behavior. It's about witnessing what? the behavior. Yeah. Apologize. Apology is like piling poop on top of poop. Like a double poop scoop. Double scoop of poop, please. I would like a double scoop. Apologies. What good is that? I mean, Jesus. I mean, Jesus didn't even apologize, you know? <laughs> and he has all these Christians killing each other and doing all kinds of really bad things. So, so yeah, don't, apology is just more poop. Okay, it's not about that. It's just saying, hey, I have just realized that for, for the last two weeks, I expected you to empty the garbage can. And I've been, every day, I've been sitting here going, it's getting piled higher and deeper, and you, and you're not emptying the garbage can. And I've expected that you would, because you did it the last, Three months you've been expecting the garbage can emptying it and i expect you to do it and i'm sorry you know it's not about i'm sorry it's like oh my god can you believe this my construct as was starting to solidify and crystallize and become a projection to you and i take it apart i'm taking it apart in public it came from my father he did it to my mother i can blame my father then no <laughs> No, you just take it apart any way you can. You take the thing apart in public, put it on the table and go, stinks in here. Because I, you know, and that's how the healing happens. That's how poop is good for fertilizer. Okay, so just, but if you keep it hidden away, it's an infection. It is an yeah. infection. 
Thank you. Yeah. yeah. You. <laughs> it is seven thirty-eight twenty-eight, and Nicole has got something. Go ahead, Nicole. The thing I got is like, there's this thing about the the more beautiful world my heart knows is possible. Like Charles. This is the I Charles think. Eisenstein quote. Yeah. And then there's this part where. I kind of escape into the imagining of it. It's like that dream thing where, and I'm, I'm, I guess I, I have the idea I could reconcile those things. Um, and I need help with that. No, it's, it's exactly the same thing that Shannon's thinking is that once you have experienced this beautiful world that your heart knows is possible, you would think it is so obvious that the person next to you would agree with that. That's the thing. And it's painful to stand there in the, in the beauty and joy and the radiance and the ecstasy of this more beautiful world that you know is possible and you've been breathing it and, and the glory of it, like the clarity of it, right? Like, Nicole, you, you, you live in a world of this really clear. You have, you have these wonderful distinctions and you can speak about them and you can enact them, right? And then there's this person right next to you would think, God, they, they would like it too. You put it over on them a little bit like that to help them get it, right? To rescue them, to do it for them, to move them forward on their path of evolution so they could be with you because you would love to be with them and how wonderful this is. And it's that little thing of like glomming over, like moving into their space and trying to expect them to come and be with you because it's better than theirs, you know? You're, but they, they don't see it that way. They won't see it that way. And so this kind of respect that I'm talking about, the amazement part, is to stand there that close, having that much joy and ecstasy and transformational possibility, you know, I have, a, I have an experiment here, Nicole, which is how many single coachings are you doing every week for people? How many paid single coaching sessions are you doing for people every week? That's a, that is a bad answer. Okay, it needs to be about 15. So the, the experiment is bump. See, you have the potential to help 15 people a week for a paid single coaching session online or offline every week. It would replace the money that you're getting from your corporate job or from government. It would replace it more, more so. And all this energy that you've got coming through you, you have bright principles coming through you. You have your archetypal lineage already showing up through you and you don't have a place to put it. So you're trying to put it on people for free. And it's, I don't know, you can bring a horse to water and you can't make him drink. It's that simple. So all that stuff you have, this treasure you have grows by delivering it. So you, you put the sign on your door, you tell the people in your circle, there's a whole there's a wonderful website called Build Your Circle. You put out a, a website, you put out, you put out your little newsletter and you tell people I'm doing coaching sessions. People already know you have that clarity. This is just a lot of you guys. So I'm not just hammering Nicole, okay? 
a lot of you guys could be delivering online coaching sessions because people already know you have clarity. People already know you can do magic. People already know you have expertise that they don't have in terms of creating clarity and possibility. They want that. All you just do is put it out there on a website with a little newsletter, read the Build Your Circle website, just do what it says, and start delivering. Otherwise, you will get constipation. It's called transformational constipation, Nicole. You have it. And it is uncomfortable. It is a very stuffed up feeling. And your bright principles are pissed off. Your archetypal lineage is pissed off at you because they're giving you jobs in the bench and you're not delivering to the people. You're not, they're giving you the gold and you're not giving it away. So it's to be given away. You become a tube. You become a space through which those forces of nature do their work in the world. You try to block that and your life will just be, it's worse than having one of those neckties on You have so much transformation coming through that you'll put it on Facebook for free. That's a very worthless place to put stuff. Put it in people's beings, put it in their life, put it in their body. Put it in their five bodies, okay? One at a time, that's how we do it. And then, or do, you know, start doing rage clubs and fear clubs. You've got to get it through you, move it through you, okay? You're going to do this? Nicole, come on. Okay. Good, good. All right, thank you. Good, thank you, Dor. All you other guys. Whoever else was shaking, come on. Who, who's shaking on this one? Who is shaking on this one? Yay, Ingrid, yay, Shannon, yay. Okay, Sarah, yes, yes. Amanda, Quinn, yes, I can't see you all. Yes, Mia, okay, Anika, good, yeah. Just do it, it will come, it will go through. You need to have the people out there to do this with. Good door, thank you. All right, all right, the bells are ringing. What, somebody is saying something? I didn't realize I wasn't on mute. I said, I love this. <laughs> hey, this is, what, this is what, yay, she loves it. Me too. Okay, look, it's 7.30. The space is officially closed. You have to go. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. We will hang around for a little while. And thank you. And, and see you next week. Do your experiments. If you have talked to each other, come in and, you know, Ask each other for help to support, to design your experiments, and then do the experiments, okay? This stuff is so important. Those little experiments are really important. So just, we already checked with everybody here in the team is willing to help you. So just pick two people. You don't even have to know who they are. Say, could you help me with this? And they will do it. It's great. Okay. <clears throat> Over and out. And we're still here. So, okay. Bye, you guys. But anybody wants to stick around or wants to say something, we'll stick around for a few more minutes. See you, Habet. Hey, Jake. Jake, you got something? Yeah. Um, Go ahead. You were. Uh, I see your hand too. When you were talking about uh, apologies being extra poop, um, yeah. was that like a gen an in general statement that's your experience or is that just within the context of taking radical responsibility you where have you gone you've vanished on my screen no. oh, there you are. yeah so 
so checking yourself. You know, there, yes, somebody can do something, whatever, and then they can apologize. But what what is that really? How much you know? How much does that really give you? In terms of, so I'm asking you to answer your own question from your own <clears throat> experience. You know how much? You know what I mean? Like, what does an apology really do for you? Are you the thing that will really do something for you? Is if a person can admit their payoff, their technology, their inner technology, the automatic machine that was going on, you know, and be and really to fall apart in front of you, to break, to take themselves apart in front of you, and then. Then they say, you know, whatever happens next, they, nothing they say is going to make any difference. What's going to make a difference is how they show up next. So that's, yeah. that, so this is how it's going to work. It's like apologizing, you know, it won't pay the rent. It doesn't, doesn't compensate. There, there is karma. And apology, apologizing does not erase karma at all. It, and it usually adds more karma, basically. So anyway, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Is that basically, in general, it's it's you know sometimes useful to say I'm sorry, but but it, what that really means is I'm sad. This is the real thing. Is yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sad about what I just unconsciously created. Oh, you know, and 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 really have the feeling instead of talking about it. Yeah, I think in I think there's part of me that I think there's two things going on part of it is sometimes when i have that sensation or the thought of i want an apology what i'm actually saying is i want to see this person take radical responsibility for something and it's just i'm still putting it in the package in my head of apology and then there is still part of me that is still or my box that still goes when i hear i'm sorry it's safe to assume that they're not going to do it again and that they are actually aware of all that. And so there's part of me that is like looking for that almost as the shortcut to have what I want or what I'm looking for, which isn't actually that. And, and, and I think I'm just hovering in this kind of line center ground where at some point I'm going to slip off or I'm going to be able to <laughs> jump off and lose my attachment to the words. I'm sorry. Um, Cause it is. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Door. Yes. I wanted to share something on Friday's zoom call. We did this, um, process uh we actually just got the distinction from the book about speaking from your heart and i had uh, then we divided immediately into uh, breakout rooms and i didn't even like we didn't even talk too much about we talked we just read a little part about how to do it and we went to this breakup room and i was with elizabeth and i just started to speak from my heart like for the first time in I don't know how long. And it was like shocking. I was like, where did I use talk all this time? And then Elizabeth started to talk and I just hold space for her. And I saw her speaking from the heart too. 
and it was wow i like saw like the yellowish stuff and i i was just like i was about to cry just from like seeing how beautiful it is and also i felt so sad like i still feel sad about like all this time that i wasted like not knowing that and it was like really powerful like experience that i think changed my life and i just wanted to share that if any of you get into this um talking from the heart part it's amazing thank you dora thanks for the experiment thank you Benno, did you want to say something? Go ahead. So I want to say something about uh, context or something about uh, patriarchy. It, it uh, looks like uh, sometimes, at least for me, that the people uh, saying uh, taking patriarchy as something bad. And uh, uh, there is this uh, again this uh, game uh, better wrong good and in this and uh, yeah um, uh, there is uh, many 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 things uh, are not so so bad in patriarchy so and it is just a uh, kind of evolution is my perception um and uh but this judging uh it, it can lead to um, again to something it's like uh, patriarchy is like a box kind of box collective box and uh, uh to to know how the box works uh, uh make uh, give me a possibility to to use the box right and uh, to take uh, things that are functioning that's working and uh, um, this uh, judging is also kind of li limitations and uh, it uh, yeah it, it can limit uh, the possibility to create uh, something uh, new something beautiful that is working and still not to to destroy or to denial something that uh, also working but because it uh, the name of that is uh, patriarchy or matriarchy and uh, this uh, yeah, i want to just to share that and uh, i i <laughs> i see it is funny uh here in the group to to see men topless and it is okay but nobody uh, from women is topless because it's probably not okay. And it is also kind of uh, how the patriarchy appears as we hear. Thank yeah, you. thank you. Yeah, I was, I was thinking um, that for 27 years, I did not eat at a McDonald's restaurant. So I, I just won't, probably for the rest of my life, I will never eat at a McDonald's restaurant, even if I'm kind of starving to death. It wouldn't 
I mean, and it's and it's not because the McDonald's restaurant is bad. It's just because the quality of the food that's served at a McDonald's restaurant is patriarchal. It's like it had not because of the patriarchy. It's like I know too much. I know too much to eat at a McDonald's restaurant. So it's like it's like that. It's like the McDonald's restaurant will continue to exist as long as customers walk in the door and buy that stuff. And, and so, but if people don't walk into McDonald's and buy this stuff, it would, it would disappear overnight. It would be gone. So the same is true of the patriarchy. It's that people function inside patriarchy because they don't have the, the, the distinctions or the sensitivity to notice what they're really doing. But as soon as they do, they will walk out of it and the thing will fall apart because there won't be any participants. So it's like that, it's not bad. It does exactly what it's supposed to do and there's consequences. And so it's like that, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, the judgment thing is a gremlin thing. It's just a gremlin food. It's not gonna make it go away either. You know, you, you strengthen that which you fight, you oppose. You strengthen that which you oppose. So to to try to fight the patriarchy or call it bad, you're strengthening it. You're just doing isometric exercises. Isometrics, you're just making it stronger. You know, you just go, you just go like this. And then what is it gonna do? It won't have a reason to exist. Something like that. Thank you, Benu. Cool. Somebody else, anything? Anika. I'd like to hear more about the, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, Anika, are you okay if yep. Sarah goes first? <laughs> okay. All right, Sarah, go ahead. I'd just like to hear more about the, um, the, the, the quality, the amazed, the, the, way, the way of exploring, um, the energy of exploring uh, reality from a point of view of amazement and of, of exploring someone else's reality from Yeah, there's point. a, We've, we've been trying to put that it's amazing stuff i didn't know about it really in a way that i could talk about it except for about a year ago we started to figure out this stuff called vacuum learning so there's a website called vacuum learning where where it's approaching it's approaching stuff with interest and i i wouldn't do that for a long time for back in the 90s i would approach something with pressure, with a hammer or a chisel or a laser. I would approach it like that, with clarity, something like this. And, it, and, it, and, and there are circumstances in which that's really effective and functional, but not in the case you're talking about. Not in this case of this culture to culture thing. There's also a great website called Culture to Culture. There's a lot about that, that kind of stuff. So those two websites are really good, but it's about being a vacuum without giving your center away, without contaminating yourself. And so the curiosity is a safe place with a question for the, per uh, with the question of requesting the person to explain themselves. What is it like for you in there? How does it go in this case? How do you handle this? 
what do you what do you feel like what do you do with your feelings whatever it's there's these kinds of when you make a safe place for introspection it's like a shared introspection space when that's where the curiosity shows up and yeah it takes a little time you have to have a that's why it's so important as a possibilitator here to free up your energy from things i've been i've been kind of going off on a tangent of of inviting people to free up their energy in other things there's so many ways that um for example the bright principles website have been really clear on that website about ways that we um use up our energy in in a bunch of different ways so that we're not available for vacuum so sarah this thing that i'm talking about with this vacuum takes a little unhookability you need to be unhookable in a way you need to be uh having a meta conversation in a certain way conversation about the conversation you need to be not identified with your personality or your survival strategy yeah the culture to culture website and chloe will write it in there it's um okay it's already in the list that she put it in jesus yeah so it's, it's a combination it's a very fine set of skills to develop and i totally encourage it because it's you can do it with children you can do it with police officers you can do it with your neighbors it's a it's it's a it's really a transformational as is in uh judo kind of move it's like an aikido move it's like being totally present and but not it's not it's not confrontive it's a safe place you're hearing you're asking the kinds of questions that let them bring up the real stuff that that they're that their decision to be like that comes from and they're probably not aware of it before and you aren't aware of it either and so it's a it's a curious thing we've also been doing uh a stuff called mimetic engineering which has some processes that we wrote up on there of actual sessions we, we have the script from actual sessions four or five actual sessions and you can see the kinds of questions to ask to go to be revealed that people discover their construct their mimetic construct and why and it's a complete safe space there's no interest at all in changing the thing it is only to see what it, what's going on it's just to see what it is and when as soon as a person can see their own mimetic construct they are outside of it inside of themselves and they have so much more space inside of themselves it's wonderful and so there's i'm i really am glad that you're interested in that question because because you'll develop the skills then you'll develop it and it's, i'm glad about that thank you for asking about that thank you thank you yeah i go <laughs> anika um so yeah, I have something else, but I wanted to just add something to the conversation just then. Um, to me, um, I I find picturing myself as a mother holding a newborn child that has been born, and if I can embody that this child is whole and perfect as it is, 
and there's nothing needing to be done to it except it's requiring food and shelter um, and what well, those basic things <laughs> from me um, if I was thinking about a child then yeah so this is this is sort of the 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 exercise that I go through and um, what, I, what I've been finding useful um, was reading um, books like The Continuum Concept where um, to, to, to really meet people, I mean, I know that this is a hit exercise, but um, sometimes, yeah, like, it, yeah, so that's that part. Um, what I wanted to say to the poop on the poop was that, um, and this is more to create mess, <laughs> and I'm, I'm noticing in myself that I'm doing exactly what I'm about to say, that I um, recently discovered that I would put gold on the table and then put poop on top of it. And uh. um, this is this, this making myself smaller and thinking that I don't have anything important to say. So I'm actually in a space where I, I recognize my being is talking or I'm saying something that um, seems to be coming from somewhere else. Uh, maybe it's some archetypal stuff coming through, but it's not completely formed yet. Um, it might not make complete sense to myself. And then I end up at the end of the sentence, I go, well, but I don't know, or you might not be thinking that anyway, or some kind of random blur, and it completely, <laughs> completely diminishes the, the strength of what I'm saying. And, and I want to change that because I, I recognize then I, I well, it, it draws out the confidence in myself and it draws out the, the power of what I'm saying to the opposite. Um, yeah, so just in that context, so, it reminded me of so it. Call it to ask right now, are there two people here who could help me invent a few experiments to try to make, to, to show up differently? Just go ahead, ask, ask for two people to have a call with you. Yes, um, <laughs> I would like to develop an experiment. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I would love to experiment with two people, how to, how to show up uh, so without. Anika, wait a second, wait a second, Anika. You just set up a rescue situation. What you set up was, I would love to. We haven't talked about this, but you said, I would love, and then, but you didn't actually ask if two people would help you. You asked, you basically arranged for two people to rescue you. It's a subtle difference, but it's very profound. It's very powerful. So mm -hmm. if you use the words that I used, you won't set up a rescue situation. So if you said, are there two people willing to have? 20 minute, 10, 10, 15 minute call with me to help me invent experiments where I can change my behavior about this. Are two people willing to do this? That's a different mm -hmm. negotiation. Then it's not rescuing. So try that. Say what I said. Those are new words in your vocabulary. Try it. <laughs> are there two people that are willing to set up an experiment with me to, um, to develop new ways of showing up? Anika, you would say, okay, I see Dor, Nicole, and Shannon. I will contact you later on the WhatsApp group and arrange times to talk to you. Like that. Great. Thank you. You say it. You say it. Uh, <laughs> thanks, I will I will be in touch with you, Dor, Nicole, and Shannon on the WhatsApp group to arrange a time that works for all of us. 
Cool. That's how simple this works. And it's fantastic. Cool, Anika, thank you. Thanks a lot. Anybody else? Okay, we're about we're about time to end for the day. So I want to thank you all very much for your attention and your kindness and your generosity and your compassion and your willingness, to, your courage to do these experiments. So thank you. Thank you all. And see you next time. I'm, I feel you guys with me during the week. It's really it's great. So see you. See you later. Thank okay. you. All right. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Mia, the dog's even saying Thank it. Okay. Bye-bye.